I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. go. Hello, hello. How you doing? Pretty good. Today actually was one of the first in-person talks that I've given in a long time. It was a a small group that was masked, but I forgotten how good it feels to like gather in a space and sit around a conference table and like talk about stuff. So feeling energized after that. Get a full flex looking at eyebrows and eyes open. There was a lot of eye expression. (laughs) It is a little hard. I have a new small group now. My, um, as you know, I have my uh, medical students, small groups, and I'm on a small group theta now. Which, mm-hmm. For those who do not know the Greek alphabet, I'm I have my that. hand is one of those. <laughs> but I had small group alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, small group zeta, just graduated. Small group eta is in their third year. And I just got the new small group theta, my M1 group. But it's really weird getting to know them behind masks. I just, mm-hmm. I had Zoom meetings with them recently. I'm just, I need to see your face. <laughs> like, <I'm> just, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Mahalia, baby girl, Mahalia, you, you, you twist it up. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like you got a deep condition. You know, girl, you looking good. You're looking moisturized. Now we haven't, you know, been untwisted and, you know, allowed to fully expand mm-hmm. um, into our full glory. But I want you to know that um, my son with the 4C hair, I have taken all of your tips, including using a honey-based moisturizer. Mm-hmm. That's a humectant to those who miss that teaching. <laughs> I just want you to know that you and Mahalia will be very proud of his hair right now. I may have to name his hair soon. Yeah, I think it's just, almost time. I think it is. But yeah, Mahalia, girl, you look good. Jules, Jules salutes you. Excellent. Well, Mahalia is always um, in awe of Jules. She's a vibe. <laughs> it's okay. I want to do a brief sibling recognition. Oh, my oldest brother actually came in town last week, essentially flew in to help me mount my TV. And by help, I mean, he did all of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It reminded me how, you know, it's not a given that, that folks are tight with their siblings. And yeah. I, I consider that uh, a huge gift. Mm. But one thing my my oldest brother did while he was here, in addition to hanging things and carrying very large packages from the package room that I'd been neglecting, he felt and feels very strongly that I should drink less coffee and drink more tea, which wow. I was like, yeah, you're, you're probably right, but pretty ambivalent about it. So while I was at work, he actually went down the street to Target and got one of those like electric water heaters that you just plug in and push the button mm-hmm. and then put a bunch of boxes of tea in my cabinet right next to where I keep the coffee. Wow. So, are they, oh, but are they caffeine free? There was a mix of both. 
I'm feeling palpitations. I'm feeling like this is an intervention and I don't know. What to do. <laughs> well, it made me think a little bit, you know, in terms of like, you know, he's a big brother, like, you know, it's not uncommon to just like hand down your recommendations and I'm probably not going to do what you say, but I appreciate it. Yeah. But he just made it so easy for me. Oh, I mean, I haven't stopped drinking coffee, but I've started like drinking more tea simply because, you know, it's right there mm-hmm. and it came from a place of caring. I love that. And love it that. just reminded me a lot of what you've already been like talking about in terms of how to manage more compassion towards folks who have not yet been vaccinated, mm-hmm. particularly folks who, you know, aren't out there peddling misinformation or like being obstinate, but really like you know, I've got other things going on or still yeah. kind of on the fence. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and so it's just a matter of holding space to not only like tell people what to do, but also like, are there mechanisms that we can invest in to make it easier mm-hmm. for folks who are on the fence to make that decision? What you're saying is that it's one thing to say, you need to drink less coffee, drink more tea. It's another thing to say that and then consider what system factors could cause you to not drink tea at all ever. So what if I removed the barrier by providing a step to make it easier? Yeah. So I'll leave it at that. I think it was more of an experiential learning thing that that took place with, with my Mm -hmm. brother doing that for me. And it just made me think a lot about, again, like our approach to society at this point in the COVID surge. I'm with you. I love that. Um, Speaking of experiential learning, you know, despite my youthful glow, I am perimenopausal. Yes, ma'am, I am. I've been in denial about that, you know, and I always just thought menopause and all that good stuff would just be like hot flashes and that's it. You know, maybe some weight gain, maybe. And honestly, I have not been having hot flashes. I feel warm mm-hmm. um, when other people don't, but I, I, I haven't had like the classic hot flash where you're beaded up with sweat and everybody's like, oh my gosh, are you Okay. But I have experienced something that I learned this week can be a symptom of menopause. And that is these hormonal rashes and itching and like urticaria. Mm. Turns out that variations in your hormones, particularly estrogen, can lead people to have rashes and episodes of itching. And mostly it's, it's either from dry skin, but sometimes it can be like just full on hives. And a lot of, of course, when I consulted Dr. Google and all of his uh, friends or her, <laughs> or, her, or, her, or their friends, <laughs> there were lots of people describing these symptoms happening at night. Now I couldn't find a lot of literature on it, but it's definitely described enough where I, I believe it's so. So I have had a few of these moments where at night, I have started like itching and I'm like, I don't have a new detergent in my mm-hmm. house. I don't think that I'm allergic to something in my house. Fortunately, it, it does respond to an antihistamine. Yeah. Um, my age appropriate cancer screenings are up to date, of course. So that will be something else that will concern me. But yeah, you know, what I've been seeing and reading about is that this is something that you can see in the time of menopause. So yeah, that's good times. And by good times, I mean, not good times. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, so much dense learning in this early part of the episode, but what I'm really excited about is what's the what that's on your mind. The what is error. Error. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. I've made plenty uh, of those. <laughs> yep. So, you know, we, we noted as doctors, you know, we're human. Um, and as people we're human. And so we aren't always going to get things right. And this is a story about an error um, that I made that isn't like the kind of error. I think when people think of error, they think you were supposed to write 20 milligrams, but you wrote 200 milligrams. Yep. But, but adverse events and errors can look a lot of ways. So this story goes back maybe about ooh, probably like 10 or 12 years, but I was, had been on the faculty for some time and I was working with a fantastic team um, one month. And one day we admitted this lovely, lovely patient who I remember, and I'll, and I'll give him the name, you know, Mr. Ogletree. Mm-hmm. He had, I remember he just had a name that wasn't an everyday name. So <laughs> name change, but Mr. Ogletree was Mr. Ogletree Sr. Mm-hmm. He had a son who was same name, namesake Ogletree Jr. And Jr. had a son who was, they called him third. So they were all at the bedside, all loving on Ogletree Sr., who had um, been admitted to the hospital for a fever and um, a rash that looked really suspicious for uh, Rocky Mountain spotted fever. It was really, you know, mm. for the nerds to be trailing in, you know, a tick-borne illness. We, you know, everybody was like, whoa. And it was a medical student who took the history that found out he was walking through some high grass. And even though he didn't see the tick, that was the direction we were going in. He was getting his doxycycline. ID was following. And, you know, I love any opportunity to consult ID for any reason. So (laughs) all was good with the world. He was improving. He was doing fine. And um, the following morning after, you know, he had made the diagnosis my intern called me and said, Hey, Dr. Manning, um, Mr. Ogletree senior, something's not right with him. He's got really bad abdominal pain. Mm. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, like significant abdominal pain. Like I, it's like a surgical abdomen. I have no reason why he would have a surgical abdomen, but he's got a surgical abdomen. And this happened like quickly. Yeah. I said, when did this start? He said, I saw him on pre-rounds and you know, he got an ultrasound, but, but, but this something happened after that. So he saw him first at 7am. And when he saw him again at like around nine, this was going on. So I come to the bedside. And when I see Mr. Ogletree senior, he is uncomfortable. He has some voluntary and involuntary guarding. His bowel sounds are like very minimal. It's a surgical abdomen. I mean, my intern was absolutely right. I looked at him. I said, Hey, let's call surgery. I don't know why Mr. Ogletree would have this surgical abdomen explained it to Mr. Ogletree senior told him. And he said he understood. And, you know, we kind of, as we were waiting for surgery, tried to like run through what we thought could be going on. We're like, Maybe he has some obstruction from, you know, some type of hypertrophy of Pyre's patch from the immune response. And maybe that's called, I was coming up with all kinds of things. I was nerding all the way out. I went in deep. Yeah, we went in deep on Pyre's patches and, you know, all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Surgery comes in and an intern and and he comes to look at the patient and kindly says, we don't think this is a surgical abdomen, but y'all can get some imaging and we'll get back to you. I was like, that's cool, but you need to call somebody senior to you because yeah, I think this is a surgical abdomen, no shade, but like, yeah, go get somebody that's older to you. (laughs) So less than 30 minutes after that, I am at the nurse's station and the surgery team comes walking up in their, you know, surgical greens. 
the chief resident, she walks up to me and she's like, yeah, you know, I saw your patient. This guy hasn't moved his bowels in like three days. I honestly think this is just a guy who really needs a good BM. And I know nobody, nobody gets bowels moving like medicine, like kept it light. And we like <laughs> laughed. She's like, yeah, but go ahead and image him. <clears throat> go ahead and get a CT abdomen and pelvis just to be sure. Um, I doubt very seriously that there's more do, but definitely help him poop. And, and here's the point where I made an error. Okay. The point where I made an error is that I looked at her and I said, are you sure? Cause I, I, I think I really, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is a surgical abdomen. She said, no, no, we're, we're, I'm, I'm pretty confident. Trust me. This is what I do all day, every day. And I will tell you all of the surgeons standing there together, the number of postgraduate years, if you added them all up did not exceed my, my, my years of experience as a physician, mm-hmm. not a, like I'd been out of residency longer than all of them collectively had been residents. And, and so she walked away and the team walked away and I looked to my intern and my resident and I said, he will declare himself and they are, they will be back. Get his CT. Now he will declare himself. That, that doesn't seem like when you first hear it, it doesn't sound terrible, right? Right. But this was somebody's grandfather, somebody's dad. Mm. And he declared himself. Goodness. And when he declared himself, um, the surgery came back. By then the CT had come back. Um, he emergently went to the OR. They took care of um, his obstruction and he had a perioperative MI and he died. Oh. And, you know, I saw the surgical team later, the resident and the chief resident came to me and they said, you know, he did fine with the surgery. Wow. He, he just, he had a, he had an MI. Sounds like the guy just had a, had a heart that just couldn't take all that. Mr. Ogletree senior was like 61 years old. Mm. I said, no, he was somebody that I put through a horrendous stress test and he failed it. That's what happened to him because I knew that that man had a surgical abdomen. And I should have called the attending as the attending. I should have called an attending to come and see my patient and take him where he needed to go, which was to the OR. When I was in residency, we couldn't always get CTs that quick. Like people would make clinical judgments. This guy needed to go to the OR. And I knew that. And I continued rounding and said he would declare himself. I'm ashamed of that. (sighs) And so what do you do to move past something like that, right? Do you just hold it in your soul and feel terrible forever? And I say no. And this is how I kind of work through stuff like this, Ash, you know? Yeah. I ask myself first, what did I do that was good for this patient? What I did that was really good for Mr. Ogletree is that I knew exactly who he was. I knew that he had a son. I knew he had a, a son who was after that son. And I knew that that little son said when he had a son, he was going to call him forth. And, you know, I got to know that family. I built a therapeutic alliance with them. 
Also, what was done well is that I was available to my intern when he called me and I had created a space to be called. And I responded and went to the bedside and examined the patient myself. And, and quite frankly, this is important because you have to look at your role on the team and where there's, there's break points in what we can do. So the, I told my intern, you did everything in your power. You mm-hmm. saw the patient, the nurse called you, you came to the bedside, you made an assessment, you called your attending and your attending ultimately said he would declare himself. And you, as an intern, you had done everything you were supposed to do. The next question is, what did I do? that was not good for the patient. And what I didn't do is that I did not use my authority for good. Mm. I did have the authority to, to go over that, that chief resident's head. Cause I was sure. Yeah. That's actually what, what stands out for me is the fact that you never second guessed yourself. I didn't because it was, it was, it was an inconvenient thing to be happening, but it was a surgical abdomen. Mm-hmm. I knew, I know what a surgical abdomen looks like. This was not somebody who'd had surgery and had an ileus after. No, this was, this was a surgical abdomen. And this was a stoic guy. And, and I've seen constipation and it don't look like this. <laughs> exactly. So the last question is, so it's, what did I do? Well, what could I, what, what did I do? That was a missed opportunity or did I not do well? Mm-hmm. And then what did I learn? What will I do differently? And how do I honor my patient? And all of those kind of flow together for me in this situation. Yeah. And the way that I honor Mr. Ogletree um, is now when I go see somebody and there is something that is not sitting right with me, I have no problem going attending to attending. I talk way more attending to attending. And I think that that chief resident, you know, she was very respectful. I don't think she would have been offended by me asking for that. Um, I also think about all the system factors like, gosh, those, that surgical team was stretched really thin. My Mm -hmm. team was admitting that day. So we were stretched really thin. He had this sort of exotic diagnosis, right. That, that kind of didn't even make us think that much about um, risk stratifying him for, for heart disease. Right. He had Mm -hmm. a bunch of risk factors. So I, I, I have not been in a situation like that since where I have said somebody will declare themselves. Okay. Cause like, what good is it for me to be right? right. Um, yeah. If, 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 if third don't have his granddaddy, mm. you know, and I did tell his son, um, his adult son that I was sorry, that mm-hmm. I was sorry that I, I, I was worried about your dad and I should have let my worry push me harder. And, you know, of course, like patients do that have built a relationship with us. He extended me grace. Yeah. But this was not somebody that was supposed to die. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it it highlights so many different layers of our interactions between colleagues in the hospital and and how that can make or break good patient care. And then the the follow-up discussion where we also use our power and authority to rewrite a narrative that makes us feel less culpable for our decision-making. Yep. Yeah. But there's also clinical inertia too, right? So <laughs> if the if the intern is exhausted and is covering consoles, goes in, sees the patient and decides he hasn't pooped in four days, I think, I think he probably has, he's probably constipated. And then he feeds that forward um, to the chief resident who mm-hmm. comes, who comes really, um, it's going to need to be like 
the, the belly is going to need to bust open in front of them for them to be like, okay, no, because we've all been there, you know, when somebody's already kind of fed you forward a story. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't there when the chief resident looked. Um, but what I what I did know when I told that intern to go get his chief resident was that this was a surgical abdomen and that she was going to come and be like, oh, snap. But that is not what she did. Yeah, and I really should have kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I can't say that I always have that level of conviction about a diagnosis, but I do sometimes have that level of conviction that something's not right. Yes. Now that, that, now sometimes I can't put my finger on what's not right, but I can put my finger on when this right here, this is not something little, this yeah. is not just a UTI. This is not just constipation. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I can unify it with Rocky mountain spotted fever, you know, <laughs> And, and that's kind of, you know, the, the, the Hickam's dictum, right? The patient can have as many different, you know, problems as they damn well, please. Absolutely. And we get so caught up in trying to, you know, Occam's razor it and be like, oh, why? Let's make this all be explained by one thing. It's like Kenny Loggins said, no one can tell you what you know. I knew that was a surgical abdomen. Yeah. And I let somebody that was a PGY four or five tell me what I knew. Mm. And if the attending had told me that, then I think we could have stopped there. Yeah. Um, But I don't think that's what would have happened. Mm. I don't know if I was sort of prideful. There was a piece in the dynamic where the chief resident was a woman. Yeah. And I, and I almost didn't like the idea of us squaring off. Like it almost felt easier when, you know, this sort of non-minority male comes to me and it's constipation. I'm like, okay. Yeah. We've played that game before. (laughs) Right. So I had a sort of an affinity bias with her. Mm -hmm. Then I probably had some bias with him where I, perhaps if I had impressed upon him how I felt, but I, but I did. And I think the way I just, I just kind of said, oh yeah, you need to get your chief president. I could have even done more to shape the narrative that he ended up using. So as you see, I'm a habitual reflector. So I like sort of think about my part in stuff. Like it's so easy to just be like, I cannot believe that they blew him off. And that's why he had that MI. And then yep. to have the audacity to walk up on me and say, man, he just had an MI. He was, it was, it was bound to happen. Like, no, no, <laughs> we, we were wrong. And, and I did get to talk to that chief. And I told okay. him, I said, we, we failed him. We were the two most senior people there. What we did well was that we came to his bedside and examined him, but we, you know, we trivialized his problem. Absolutely. And my little intern and my um, resident, they got to see me boohoo crying about this. Mm. And I told them, I said, I accept responsibility for this. Wow. I applaud my intern because he did exactly what he was supposed to do. I applaud my senior resident because my senior resident was supportive and they did serial exams just like I asked. They called surgery. They did everything I asked. I had the authority to do more and I didn't. Wow. Well, I'm imagining how impactful that was for your learners to see that for you to insert yourself when you needed to. And like you said, take your intern's concerns seriously and then model that level of responsibility. I mean, we just don't see enough of that in medical education and then particularly like how you carried through that relationship with the family and, and apologize and were, was honest with the junior and, and the third, yeah. you know, that, that matters. That is such a, such a powerful story. 
Yeah. What you want to, you, you want people to think that you got it all figured out, right? Like that, but, but I, I want people really to, to grasp this thing that errors and adverse events in the hospital are multi-layered mm-hmm. um, and, and individual, different individuals on the team will, will feel differently about them. If you were the person who was, you know, the primary, you might feel differently than the co-intern who Absolutely. sort of overheard it and was thinking something when they watched, you know, everybody get examined. Or if you were the medical student who didn't fully understand how to check the labs. And so you kind of gave up on it and a lab was abnormal. You might own that, right? But sometimes there will be times where the per- everybody did what they were supposed to do. Um, and you as the most senior person on the team, you know, are sort of the final, you know, line of defense and the sort of Swiss cheese model, right? Like <laughs> you're, you are where it could stop. And, and I didn't. Mm. But I tell this story and I push now. I call attendings. And sometimes I, you know, now I, I call attendings even more just if it's a complicated patient to just talk to them. Mm. Particularly if there's a discrepancy between what I thought and what they think. Hey, just want to touch base with you because I saw this patient on your chief came by right away. So appreciative. But uh, yeah, I was pretty concerned about him, Um, you know, just to close loops. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you may teach me something. You may teach me that Ilias is a feature of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. I have not read that, but maybe you know that and I don't know. Yeah. Your grace with which you, you reflect is, is the perpetual gift for the rest of us. And maybe I'm going to have a, a cup of tea in honor of <laughs> Mr. Ogletree this afternoon. That's what's up. That's what's up. Well, um, sip your tea. I will sip my coffee. I will tell your brother I'm going to be in prayer about me and tea. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't there yet. I just, coffee's so good. Uh, it's real. Yeah. 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 I appreciate you, sis. It's always a pleasure to spend this time talking to you. Absolutely. All right, sis. I love you. Love you too. Hello. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and the Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.